fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try What is going on? It's your boy, the Wolf of Roto Street, rotostreetjournal.com. We breed and feed fantasy wolves. And as you can see, I am joined by two absolute legends, two of the biggest guests you can have, two of the finest bell cows in the fantasy industry from the stacked weapons cabinet over at Fantasy Points. They're the co-hosts of the new Two Bars podcast, Mr. Scott Barrett and Graham Barfield. And you two have kind of kicked off our Fantasy Wolves series for 2020, which was amazing. It you know, kind of catapulted us. We had an awesome run. We got Silva, Mike Wright, some awesome guests. But even still, we just kept getting message after message. Is Scott coming back? Is Graham coming back? Those were the, you know, are you going to talk to those guys again? And so we got them both together. I'm thrilled. Uh, it's going to be incredible to have you guys on. Welcome back. Barrett, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back on. Always, always happy to be on the show. Always have a, a good time on the show. And you brought my, my sidekick along with me, the, the Robin to my Batman. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's be very clear. I'm Jordan. You're Pippin. Let's be very, very clear about that. Very, very I love it. Pippa was not just on the hero, man. They they went deep in the playoffs that year he set out. It's definitely not a slight towards you because Pippen was the second best player in the game when he was uh he was balling, especially the late nineties, man. All right, I'm I'm Scotty Pimpin. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that I mean, if you guys can already tell, these two have incredible chemistry. If you've not checked out the two bars podcast, uh some great early episodes to start that one off. It's a fantastic show. Um and I'm just thrilled to have you guys on. And to preview what we're going to talk about here, we're going to go over some of the most important questions for fantasy football, as well as some of the great game theory that's coming out over on Fantasy Points, the bell cower bus, the best ball notebooks, your guys, all that great stuff you guys are pumping out. We'll preview a bunch of that. Um, it, it's just incredible, though, what Fantasy Points has been doing. I subbed as soon as it went by on the paywall, and it's been the best money I, I could have spent, even on just the series you guys do alone, but then Greg Kosel's film, you know, John Hansen's draft plan. You guys just have such a ridiculous cast. So anybody tuned in that has not checked out Fantasy Points, you're doing yourself a disservice. You guys are unbelievable. So thanks again for coming on, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. Happy to do it. Um, and the first thing, though, before we get into some of those Fantasy Points articles, I mean, all the rage today, Alvin Kamara, uh, you know, holding out right now with the contract, potentially being traded. Uh, all this stuff is going on, and drafts are happening. This is the peak of the season. So I'll start with you, Scott. Should we be worried at all? Should we be reacting if we have a draft coming up? Or what are your thoughts on the Kamara situation? Uh, yeah, so this is definitely news that you need to pay attention to that okay maybe it's worth bumping one guy up you know nine spots or so and bumping the other guy down maybe one spot uh really I, I think you know at the end of the day it's it's a running back who doesn't have a lot of leverage uh would the Saints trade Alvin Kamara I think probably not Sean Payton surprised us trading away Jimmy Graham when no, no one thought that would happen amidst, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, a contract uh, that got held up in negotiations. 
But uh, ultimately, I think, you know, this is just par for the course. Uh, you know, Alvin Kamara says he wants this amount of money. Uh, won't budge. So they're like, all right, well, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We'll, we'll seek a, a we're, we're, we'll entertain trade offers. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think this really means anything. Uh, isn't really changing my strategy whatsoever. I mean, we'll talk about this in bell cower bust, but I, I think, you know, we naturally undervalue uh, pure handcuffs with RB1 upside, like a Latavius Murray, like a Tony Pollard, like an Alexander Madison, and overvalue running backs that don't have that sort of upside, but do have more uh, immediate value, like low-end RB2 value, which, by the way, is like worth nothing. But I'm thinking along the lines of like a Tariq Cohen uh, or a James White when like they're, they're even in a best case scenario, they don't really uh, provide too much value to your starting lineup. So Latavius Murray is a guy I actually don't have a lot of exposure to, but a guy I've hyped up quite a bit this off season. Uh, and, and I think at the end of the day, that's, that's one of the big takeaways is if, if, you know, by, by, by chance Alvin Kamara does get traded uh, there's massive upside for Latavius Murray uh, we've seen Sean Payton revert to a bell cow when he's been forced to go that route. Uh, and Latavius Murray last year, 34.4 fantasy points per game in the two games Alvin Kamara missed. Alvin Kamara, 2018, 34 fantasy points per game in the four games Mark Ingram missed. Uh, so that's a big takeaway there. But but ultimately, I, I, I don't think uh, it's too likely we, we see that happen. Yeah, I mean, great points. If it did happen, it would be... Ridiculous for Latavius Murray, um, but you're not overly worried. Graham, do you feel similarly, or do you have any different leanings here with the Kamara situation? No, I feel about the same. Like, if I were to measure it on a scale to 10, it'd be like a three. Uh, I mean, the Saints are all in. They've been all in for the last couple years trying to get a ring with Breeze. He's 41 now. Um, They paid Taysom Hill like over $20 million this (laughs) offseason, which just looks egregiously bad now that they don't have the cap space to – give uh give kamar the money he wants uh there was a report a report came out from charles robinson of yahoo earlier today he said you know they're looking kamar kamar wants 16 mil a year which is about what mccaffrey got they're closer to like the saints are closer like 12 to 13 i mean it's a pretty big gap but at the end of the day i think they'll get this done um I, i know this could lead to a whole running backs don't matter discussion but like alvin kamara is like one of the few running backs because of what he provides as a receiver in terms of his flexibility, not only uh, in efficiency, not only as just a a running back naturally catching balls out of the backfield, but all the things they do with them to uh, move them out wide. I'd be, I'd be really surprised if they didn't figure something out. I I would still, I would still take Kamara at four or five right now, if I had the opportunity and um, I'd be, I'd be shocked if the saints didn't try to, didn't try to give them the money, uh, that Kamar wants. I mean, we've just seen it with, with the Saints, especially the, the salary cap doesn't matter. It just doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like it's just a, it's a figment of our imagine, imagination. This is just totally funny money. Uh, the Saints and Mickey Loomis have done a great job at, uh, you know, uh, finding ways to to pay players in the past. And I think this will just be another situation where they do it because, uh, I mean, Kamar is a big piece of what they do. And that offense runs through Michael Thomas first and then Kamara second. Um, I'd be, I, like I said, I'd be shocked if they didn't get it done. 
and especially with Breeze on that the twilight, the back nine of his career here, you got to think they, they do everything they can. I know you mentioned, Scott, that you might bump one or two. Is this something that, like, I know we're all very high on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Is this something that would can make you consider him, if you were drafting tonight and you have this little bit of uncertainty, are either of you guys bumping Hilaire or any of these other guys? I know you're right around four or three on Kamara. Is there anyone you would bump if you had to draft tonight over Alvin Kamara? Yeah, I think that's I think that's coin flippish. I actually have Kamara ahead of Zeke, and I still would go that route. And then it's it's very coin flippish. Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, versus Kamara. I mean, some verified account who knows if he's legitimate or not says the Chiefs have interest in bringing Leonard Fournette uh, on board, which which would it makes no sense, and it's not Andy Reid at all, and it would piss me off to no end, but. Hey, I don't, I don't know. Hey, Andy Reid likes good running backs. Andy uh, Reid, yeah, Andy, like, Andy Reid likes that's good not running his backs, type. Man. Yeah, no, no, no right, no. exactly. Let's hope he likes them enough to avoid this Fournette. That would be just like freaking the worst possible bomb right in draft season to drop there. I would hate that. Um, and as you kind of alluded to, Scott, like one of your biggest articles, um, one of the best pieces I've read was the well, anatomy. You- What's that? You you need to get you need you deserve credit for this because I've done this article for for like three or four years now, and this is like finally the year where it like it gained steam and entered the mainstream. But you were on board. You were one of like the first earliest adopters for the bell cow or bus phenomenon, like two years 100%. ago. A hundred percent. I've always been bell cow or bust and, and just having a, a brilliant uh, fantasy mind like yourself. Like I've always known it's right. But you just put all the science behind it so clearly laid out in your, your article here. And it kind of spawned from your anatomy of a league winner. And I just got to say, if, if anybody watching this has not read that yet, I, I truly think that was one of the most game-changing pieces of fantasy content I read this offseason, maybe ever. Like, it just genuinely broke down so clearly what a game winner, you know, league winner is and who it could be uh, this season. And then you kind of spawn this bell cow or bust based on that. Uh, that the logic behind the running backs here and the name, you know, the name kind of reveals the core strategy, right? Every down players, runners and receivers, they're getting all of it, the snaps, the carries, the targets, but why is it so valuable, especially now in this type of landscape, Scott? Yeah. So, so I just wanted to say when I was back at PFF, I had to write like five articles per week and I just like had no time to do anything, especially not these big, deep, philosophical dive. So I was so excited to be able to do this, which ultimately turned out to be a three-part series, Upside Wins Championships, then Anatomy of a League winner, and then Bell Cower Bus sort of, you know, tying it, it all together and, and hammering home like the most important position and how to attack it. Uh, really just dive deep into the metagame, which I, I didn't haven't had a chance to do. Um, and also uh, Stathole Sports did a, a series on war, fantasy war, uh, I, I might have rewritten Anatomy of the League winner or attacked it differently had I read his articles beforehand, but that's also like great, tremendous work that's come out where he's said basically the exact same thing. He's like, yes, running backs who catch passes. But uh, it's hard to sort of – Before you keep going, war, what exactly does that stand for? Oh, that's, that's wins above replacement. And mm-hmm. uh, he's looking at it in terms of actual value a player brings to um, – to your roster, to your team, like Christian McCaffrey is worth like three war. And there's only like 
you know, five other guys this past decade who had a war above two. Like that's just how, mm-hmm. how much of a cheat code owning this one guy is. Uh, and like upside wins championships talks about that too. And I talk about war a little bit in bell cower bust. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to distill uh, three different articles and like 2000 words to 4,000 words each in each article. But basically uh, bell cow running backs are the most valuable uh, players in fantasy. It's like the, the shiny holographic Charizard of fantasy. It's like so rare. It's so valuable. They're game script proof. They're, they're, they're highly consistent on a week-to-week basis. They have the highest ceiling, the highest floor, the highest projection, uh, and, and they're league winners. They're, that's exactly what you want. And what is a bell cow running back? It's an every-down running back who's going to rank highly in snaps, carries, targets, snap share, carry share, target share. And Christian McCaffrey, 2019, was basically the ultimate bell cow running back, the number one bell cow running back since, like, since – but Danian Tomlinson in his prime, maybe Le'Veon Bell's best season ever came close. Um, and, uh, and, and, and my strategy in drafts is exactly, you know, what the slogan implies, which is I really go bell cow or bust. Like if you just look at my rankings, I have uh, James White, 40, Tariq Cohen, 44. Uh, I have, um, Nick Chubb out of my top 15. I have uh, Aaron Jones out of my top 15. I have uh, Derek Henry just outside of my top 12. Um, I really go bell cow or bust. And like sort of the reasoning there, like Derek Henry is an amazing runner, hyper talented, but uh, what he did last year is just like due for a massive, massive regression. Uh, It was by my data, like the second most efficient fantasy season of the past decade due for a massive regression. Those seasons always regress heavily. I know he's a hyper talented running back Uh, on top of that. He got, you know, really good game scripts. So Tennessee won all these games. We didn't expect them to win. What happens in Tennessee wins, you know, four games this year. Guess what? Derrick Henry is averaging 9.2 fantasy points per game in his losses. That's going to kill you. Um, I don't know. It's 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 always hard for me to kind of distill this, but it's it's just just bell coward bucks. Absolutely, you uh, Grant, and it it makes all perfect sense going after those guys. Are you in the same boat, Graham, where you're like just hammering them early? Are there receivers or anything else you work in? Are you as extreme about it as Scott is, or what's your kind of philosophy? With yeah. the whole bell cow or bust uh, theory. Yeah. So in general, I'm I'm with Scott that I want running backs that. Uh, don't come off the field in passing situations. I mean, I think that's really my whole strategy is like, I don't really want the backs that come off the field, but I, I take it a little bit differently. I build teams. Um, I try to think of every team as kind of like a, a different, it's just like a different challenge. You know, uh, every, every draft slot provides, you know, different ways the draft is going to flow. And I'm never going to go into a draft saying, Hey, I don't want James white or Tariq Cohen on my teams because uh, there's certain instances where White and Cohen make a lot of sense as like an RB3 in PPR league because you kind of give yourself a floor. You know, if you draft J.K. Dobbins, for example, uh, it might make a lot of sense to get a James White to kind of help you build up a floor early in the year where, you know, you know we're not so sure about J.K. Dobbins' usage. Uh, so I do take a little bit of a different angle from that aspect, but, but I do agree with Scott's overall point that 
uh, like in general, James White and Tariq Cohen are never going to win you your league. Like they're strictly just floor plays, but I do think there is specific team builds where they can help you. I have a totally different take on Derrick Henry though. Like he's my RB five. I just think this dude is so safe. His rushing floor is so safe. Scott, the Titans are not going to win four games, man. Like that is such no, a know, low man. range out of outcomes. Like their, their win total is eight. Uh, I think they win nine, nine or 10. Their defense is pretty good. Again, they're bringing back their entire secondary. Uh, their pass rush scares me. Uh, but th- this team is rolling back basically 10, 10 of their 11 starters on, on offense. They're having to replace Jack Conklin. Uh, I don't think that'll be that big of a deal. Conklin's a really good run blocker, but the point is Henry's volume is so safe. Like Darianson Evans is not going to, uh, steal any goal line work from, uh, Henry whatsoever. Uh, last year, the the Titans had uh, they gave the ball to Derrick Henry 16 out of 16 times when they got inside the 10 yard line. Uh, his touchdown ceiling is so high, and it, you know if if the the biggest bugaboo for Henry obviously is he's never been able to be like on the field consistently for third downs and in passing situations. But Ryan Tannehill. Uh, came out and said, um, or, you know, about a week ago that like uh, that Henry's really been working on it. Not only like just trying to you know catch more balls and be a little more fluid in the passing game, but he's been really working on his conditioning, which is huge because I mean, you know, obviously Derrick Henry, when you're getting the rock 18, 22 times, 25 times per game, you're going to wear it down a little bit. Uh, maybe that's why they've tried to take him off the field in the past is because he just can't handle all of that, all of those snaps. But I mean, if he's on the field, like even. I mean, if he gets even just like a 20% boost in the passing game in terms of routes run, like he is going to threaten for top five, top three upside just because I think his rushing floor is so safe. And Scott, like I dug deep into this for an article up on the site uh, fantasy on fantasy points, looking into uh, Derrick Henry in negative game scripts. And last year, like he was definitely game script dependent. Um, one of the most game script dependent backs in the NFL, like, but James Conner, Josh Jacobs were more game, uh, game script uh, dependent. And the biggest thing for, for Henry last year wasn't that he, it's the, it's crazy. Like the dude is just a touchdown machine. And I do agree. There's, there's going to be a good bit of uh, like touchdown regression for him, but like in the games that they lost, he still scored seven, uh, like seven touchdowns. Uh, he, he was still getting the ball inside the 10 yard line. That, that's not going to change for him. The biggest thing was his rushing yardage was real. Like his floor just kind of dropped out. Uh, he had 90 or more yards and nine of their 11 wins last year. Think about that. 90 or more yards and nine of 11 wins. He did not cross that 90 yards threshold once in one of their losses. So uh, that offense right now is the way they're built. They're, they're, like I said, they're running it back with the 10 of their 11 guys. Uh, and I just think Henry's floor is so high. I mean, even in the games they lost, he still scored like 13.2 fantasy points per game last year. That's still solid enough for low-end RB2 numbers. And, yeah, a lot of that's touchdown-driven, but uh, the volume was still there. And that's really, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is volume. Yeah, so I'm going to jump in. What we're going to look for is volume. But as you well know, uh, a target is worth about 2.83 times as much as a carry in PPR leagues. Um, And, again, I – over the past two seasons, Derrick Henry averages 9.9 fantasy points per game and losses. If their implied total is eight, that means like half of the games you're, you're starting Henry, he's going to give you single-digit uh, fantasy point outputs. I, I think that's like horrible. He's like the type of guy I'm going to get all my exposure to in DFS that's as fair. opposed to season long. Um, but I mean, like he's, he's a guy who's really hard to argue with. And, and again, like I have him 
you know, right at that fringe RB1. And, and, you know, this is a hill I'm dying on. I'm, I'm certainly in the minority. I just wanted to bring up your point about uh, James White in certain leagues. I, I do think that is fair. Um, so like in a uh, dynasty league, in a best ball league, I don't think bell cower bust is, is optimal at all in a best ball league, but certainly in a PPR league, in a standard league, it's, it's less valuable. Uh, in the, the less good players on your waiver wire, um, the less you need to, you know, swing for the fences, upside wins championships, the, the less you need to go this route. And like Graham was saying, it's like, all right, well, let's say you just took a ton of home run swings where you, you, you know, you went Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, like those guys are kind of risky to start the season. I, I get the the James White's of the world, and you, you kind of do need to balance your portfolio uh, a little bit, let's say. But all this is in the articles. Just read the articles. <laughs> <laughs> they are fantastic articles. Um, just to wrap up the, the whole Derrick Henry thing, too, it is interesting that once Tannehill took over, he was the number two fantasy back, even in PPR, only McCaffrey had more points. So it's just a matter of how real was Tannehill. Is he going to regress and they, yeah. they go towards those losses more, or is he going to be the real deal? It's always tricky to put any type of eggs Dude. into a Tannehill. I think we win more than eight games this year. I like I them think a lot. They, I think they do too. I think they'll win more than eight games. I think the Colts win that division, but Tannehill is going to regress. Like, he had he led the league in touchdown rate, was top two in yards per attempt. Mm-hmm. That That's not happening again. Like, I saw yeah, but here's stat. the thing. Yeah, go ahead. Here's the thing. But what if he doesn't? <laughs> so he's gonna average he's gonna average what nine yards a tenth again i mean all right so listen listen to this so last year he put to, uh he ranked first in pff grade first in passer rating second in fantasy points per start and second in fantasy points for dropback and not only was it the second best fantasy points for dropback season last year but it was like one of the five or six best of the past decade uh, due for regression, obviously, of course, but that's like super baked in. This is the guy who ranked second yeah. in fantasy points per start last year. He's QB 19 by ADP. What's not baked into all, any of this is the fact that Arthur Smith might be like a genius Dude, play really caller, good. which I think he's he really is. Uh, AJ Brown is, you know, who I wanted Leonte Carew to be, which means <laughs> a, a future Hall of Fame goat. Um, you know, guys, John Smith taking that next step. I put, I made two. So last year uh, in three separate months, I bet Lamar Jackson to win MVP. He was the only player I bet to win MVP. Of course I was capped at like $7 because it was such a long shot on, on DraftKings, their app. Uh, so I only won like $4,000. Someone else won like 900,000, but this year I put, put down two YOLO MVP bets. Uh, one on Ryan Tannehill at 100 to one odds, and the other a, a quarterback with 150 to one odds. I just want to see if either of you guys can guess who it is. Well, one of them's obviously Tannehill. <laughs> That's what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, one of them's obviously Tannehill. Who's the, who's the other though? Is it Teddy Bridge? No. No, I've, Scott hates Teddy. Bridge. I mean, I get that. I get that. Hey, hey, that's actually the hedge on on my guy. I said, I said uh, Joe Burrow. Ooh, okay. If, yeah. Joe, if Joe Brady made Joe Burrow, maybe maybe Teddy Bridge just just goes nuclear. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of my thoughts behind. It. I mean, right. Burrow was great 
uh, solid before you know Brady got there. Before you send him to all world talent with him there, he really set him up for success. I think he might do the same for Teddy Bridge. He's my uh, hundred to one. I put a, a smooth hundred on that one. Nice. Just what happens? Why not? Right? I'm doing uh, I'm doing my ninety six stats right now. Do you want to know what my my Teddy Bridgewater stat is? Oh God, sure. I just, I had just hyped up like every single stat was just like positive praise for a player, and then Teddy Bridgewater's the stat was. He's reached 21 fantasy points just three times in 44 career games. He's he hasn't been properly unlocked. That's my, my I know, I know. I, I think he's, right. he's he's better than his his fantasy production. It's the perfect spot for him. It's the perfect spot for him. Perfect. Right. He's free. More. Yeah. He's free. He's free. He's got the yak monsters. We'll talk about him a little bit later with our favorite penny stocks. Um, did you have so so we got our early running back fade from Scott. Did you have anybody, Graham, that you're just not touching in those early rounds? Uh, I mean, I think Scott alluded to it, but it's Nick Chubb too. Um, I just can't. I can't pay the iron price for him, man. Like his target share dropped from twelve percent to five percent when Cream Hunt uh, played over their final eight games. I mean, Cream Hunt was top six in all of the receiving stats you look for in terms of routes run, receptions, targets. Um, I obviously knew new coaching staff. Maybe Kevin Stefanski views it a little bit differently. Um, I actually think there's a chance Stefanski straight up maybe views Hunt as the more talented runner than Nick Chubb. And I know that might sound crazy because I, I'm super high on Nick Chubb's talent. I always have been like he really popped in yards created. Uh, he has like he still has one of the best figures in yards created per attempt on outside carries. That I've ever charted. I mean, the dude is ridiculous, but so is Cream Hunt. Uh, I think we could be looking at a true like 55, 45 timeshare, and you're paying, man, like top 10 overall price for Nick Chubb. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that I would like over Chubb, including the receivers in that range, like Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill. Um, I've seen Chubb slip a little bit recently. I don't know if that was maybe just randomness in a few drafts, but in general, I, I've really uh I've really shied away from Nick Chubb. I've pretty much drafted like even before Clyde, even before the Damian Williams opt-out thing, I was drafting Clyde Edwards-Alaire over over Nick Chubb like every day of the week. Um, I, I pretty much have not taken Chubb over Mixon or Drake or Eckler or any of those guys once, and uh, I, I don't I don't really plan to. I even like Josh Jacobs like a lot more than than Chubb this year, just because I think their rushing floors are pretty similar. And, and in fact, I actually think Jacobs' rushing floor might be even better. So. Yeah, Chubb has been a big fade for me, and, and maybe I'll look like an idiot for this because he'll, he could seriously just go nuts in the Browns scheme, uh, especially now that they have two good tackles between Conklin and Wills. I mean, Jedrick Wills was like one of the best picks uh, that, that in, the, in the draft this past year. But, yeah, I, I just think Hunt is going to push for some early down work because he's just that good, and uh, we know what the receiver uh, – what kind of receiver Hunt is. And, you know, like Scott's been saying, man, like these targets are – are you know two to three times more valuable than a carry and and Chubb you know might see his carries dip and he's definitely not going to see the ball a ton in the passing game. Yeah, I think that all makes total sense. What were you going to say, Scott? Yeah, there's just like once you go bell cow or bust, like you you don't look back and you you just stare at ADP and there's some guys who just jut out and make absolutely Chubb. no sense whatsoever. I think Chubb is easily one of the worst picks in drafts. Kareem Hunt outscored him in six of eight games last year when he came back from the suspension. And Kareem Hunt's going three rounds later. But I wouldn't draft Kareem Hunt either. But, you know, Mark Ingram's going in the fourth round. Marlon Mack is going in the seventh round. These are all guys where if you, like, t- t- if they fell four rounds by ADP, I still wouldn't draft them. 
I, I know that sounds like insane to other people, but it's just like, this is what I do every year. And every year it's profitable and ADP doesn't adjust and just keep exploiting it. So while you guys are fading those guys, one of the, the biggest questions I feel like I get more often than any other is at that round one, two turn, kind of like where you're getting Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon last year. This year, who do you target if we're going with that bell cow or bust strategy? You got tons of guys. I know we already talked about Hilaire. If he somehow fell, I think we're all in agreement. Anywhere after the top five for Hilaire is ridiculous. Uh, but then you still got, you know, Mixon, Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, Kenyon Drake, Eckler. Are there, you know, one or two guys, if you're going to go running back, running back, and those guys are sitting there, which one or two are you looking for? Why don't you start us off, Grant? Um, yeah, it's probably, I guess, if you're looking just strictly from like a data and usage perspective, it's got to be Kenyon Drake. I mean, once he joined the Cardinals last year, he had like a 75% snap share, didn't come off the field, uh, got four or five targets per game. His usage was pretty much exactly what you look for uh, for a bell cow running back. So Drake has definitely been somebody I've been buying a big ADP dip on him. He's kind of slipped. He slipped into like the mid-second round sometimes now. Uh, that boot was, price, yeah. yeah. It was the boot <laughs> Exactly. It was the boot price, which I love. Um, so Drake's been a guy I've been, been drafting way more. Um, I, I know, look, Austin Eckler is probably not going to fit like the full bell cow narrative, but, uh, if we're really adjusting for targets, like Eckler has to be up there. And I think the whole Tyrod Taylor won't throw the ball to him theory is just insanity. I mean, I, I went back and looked at this in his three years as the bills quarterback. I mean, he targeted his running backs on 21% of his pass attempts. And that's not anywhere close to where Phillip rivers was at. He was around like 30% last year, but that's still like middle of the pack, like nearly top 14 in the league. Um, you know, no Mike Williams to start the year. This chargers team is going to stink, man. They just lost Derwin James. Like they're, they're really going to stink. Like they're going to have some, some big, uh, big deficits. And I just think that lends itself to even more Eckler checkdowns. Um, you know, last year when, when Melvin Gordon held out, he was playing on like 71% of the team snaps. That's basically the same rate that Kamara gets, uh, when he's healthy. Um, I think there's a real chance like Eckler is just kind of like a 60% version of like Christian McCaffrey, maybe 75% version of Kamara based on usage. And, um, I've seen him really start to, uh, skyrocket in, in some sharper drafts. He was like mid-second round pick pretty much all summer and, and, and some sharper la- uh, sharper drafts I've seen him go where he should have been going all around uh, uh, this whole time in like the you know late first, early second round. So Drake and Eckler are, are my two guys, but uh, I think if you're going strictly bell cow, it's, it's probably Drake over Eckler. What do you think, Scott? You agree with those two picks in Drake and Eckler? Are there any other guys towards that bottom of round one, early round two, you're looking to land? I mean, I, on, on the list you, you have in our show sheet, there's there's Miles Sanders at, at 10, and I have him top six. But, uh, yeah, Drake is, is typically the guy I'm, I'm getting there. I didn't even consider Sanders because I'm drafting him at, like, five or six, seven, whenever yeah, exactly. I can. <laughs> yeah, I just, so, I just took this one off a uh, fantasy pros, but, yeah, probably not the uh, most accurate uh, ADP there, <laughs> unfortunately. So, yeah, uh, if he's eliminated, you're saying Drake, Eckler, there's – one of my favorite quotes that you always love to see about a running back, they said on Drake today, he's, quote, the straw that that uh, stirs the drink up. And that's always just nice to know that everything's revolving around him. Um, so he's, he's my guy, too. I, I love that he's been falling to, like, late round one, early round two, because I have him at, at seven overall, and Eckler's not far behind at eight. So 
I, I love those picks. I totally agree. So apparently you're not worried about Sanders' injury at all. You guys are, are still yeah. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news, man. Both Drake and Sanders' injuries are, are not real. They would they would have practiced and played if they weren't. Uh, this wasn't training camp. They're just taking it easy on those guys. Perfect. Um, and the last question on Belkaz. I know we, we spent a plenty of time on this, but it, again, is the most important thing to nail in fantasy is, are there any guys, it's so rare to find them after those first couple rounds, those first two rounds. Is there anybody you're looking for, Barrett, after those first two rounds that you're like, I, I feel great about this as my third bell cow guy? Um, yeah, so there's there's two guys in the uh, round five range. I mean, James Conner in the round three range, round four, round five. There's uh, our boy Cakers and Ronald Jones, who I'm on and Graham is not on. Uh, and then, and then deeper down, um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of want to hear Graham's take on Wait, who, who am I not on? Who am I not drafting? Ronald Jones. Oh God. Yeah. He's not a bell cow. Get that. Get out of here. He played on 40% of the team snaps when he was named a starter and they brought in McCoy. Bruce, they brought Bruce in Arians is saying he's a bell cow. Man. Oh my God, man. Listen, <laughs> If you're, that's the only thing these Rojo truthers have to base their arguments on is what Bruce Arians says. Because if you look at on the field production, like Rojo has never really had it. He was definitely a lot better last year. He's definitely a lot better as a receiver. I don't think he's anywhere close to a bell cow, man. Like you're going to be real pissed. You're going to be real pissed when LaShawn McCoy gets those like eight, 10 carries week one. (laughs) Bruce Arians told me Chris Godwin was going to catch a hundred balls last year. I took him at his word, made me a lot of money. He's telling me Ronald Jones, bell cow. I'm saying, you know, at his ADP, I'll I'll, I'll take a few. Uh, a few yeah, shows. I should I should have say I should have drafted way more Rojo when he was going in like the eighth round. Like that was that was money. Uh, yeah. Now he's going in like the fifth, sixth round, and I can't take him. In that, I can't take him in that range. Yeah, I, I find myself only landing him if those that group of wide receivers like Marquise Brown sometimes fall from late five six and going in the Rojo range. To me, it's no way. It's right. a no brainer there. Yeah. Um, but but I see the narrative. I mean, that offense should be one of the top in football, and I do think I personally lean that Shady McCoy is going to be grossly involved, better pass protector. It's going to take one Rojo drop, and you see Arians the hothead. Just to the bench the rest of the day. I mean, th- that's th- this is what Arians does, though. I mean, he called Peyton Barber his starter in like week one, week two. Then Barber blew a pass protection uh, assignment. He got benched. Rojo did the same thing. He got called. He had a great game. I think it was against Seattle. Uh, got called the starter. Came back the next week and you know blew a pass protection assignment and got benched. I mean, yeah. the, the the Bucks don't have a starter. Like Rojo will be the lead. He will lead that team in carries. He'll probably lead the running backs and targets, but. I just don't know how valuable that is. Yeah. Um, moving to the next series that you guys have been crushing over there, uh, and Graham, you've been the lead on the best ball stuff. You've been doing kind of positional notebooks on every single one. I love it. You look over like the you know the stickiest stats for each position, which guys to target on which rounds, how many guys of a certain position to take. Uh, it's been super helpful, especially as I get more and more involved with Underdog and DraftKings and all these new sites out there. Um, so I don't want to give away every single takeaway because they're all, it's such great stuff. But if you had, you know, one or two key lessons from all the research you did on these best ball notebooks, what would it be? Yeah. Um, I, I think in general, um, you know, in best ball leagues, you're typically a lot of the articles or a lot of the analysis that you'll get 
is like, oh, just pick the best players. And like that, okay, obviously. I mean, you want to be right on the right players. But I think roster construction, after digging deeper, roster construction is just as big of an edge. I, I see so many times uh, certain players will take – you know, four quarterbacks, four tight ends. They only take five receivers. Like just knowing which positions uh, that you need and and where to allocate those positions is just as big of an edge. I mean, you're not only trying to beat 11 other people, you're trying to beat the game. You know, you only have, uh, you know, 20 roster spots on underdog. NFFC, same thing, 20 roster spots. There's some some teams uh, under our – actually, underdog's 18, uh, 18 roster spots. NFFC's – 20, but DK is 20. Um, so just like knowing where to spend uh, on certain positions, like you almost always want to have like eight receivers. Like you want to at least have seven on NFFC, but like underdog, DK, you want to have at least eight wide receivers because you got to start three every week. Uh, you typically want to have one of those guys in the flex spots in most drafts because running back is just, you know, it, running back just dies after round four, round yeah. five. I mean, it's just uh, – total landmines uh in that range so i think uh digging deeper into it and like learning more about roster construction i think it's it's been uh that's probably been the biggest takeaway for me is uh just just knowing that like you know you you gotta you gotta load up on receivers and it almost doesn't even really matter like where you take them um i mean as long as you're not taking six receivers in your final eight picks uh you know uh in in best ball leagues it's definitely it, it you know you, you gotta load up on on the wideouts and uh, really two quarterback, two tight end is, is typically the way I've been building most of my teams. And that in terms of win rate, that's where, that's, that's where the money's at is to go to two quarterback, two tight end at those onesie positions. Just hope you don't get injuries uh, and, and just load up on, on receivers. What about you, Scott? You take a, a similar approach to your roster construction when you do the best ball stuff. Uh, the only thing I'll say with best ball is, I, well, uh, Basically, I treat it like almost the exact opposite way I treat a typical draft. Um, For one thing, we tend to overvalue quarterbacks in one QB start sit leagues and undervalue quarterbacks in best ball leagues. Uh, And the same thing is true for for bell cows where uh, a zero RB strategy, like honestly, might be optimal in best ball. But uh, in in a start sit league, it's, it's very suboptimal. Uh, real quick, that's what I wanted to add to uh, the only time I'm ever drafting Dak or Kyler or Deshaun or really any of those guys is in best ball because their weekly consistency and the floor that they give you at the position, not only relative to the rest of the position, but uh, just in general, in terms of roster construction, in terms of safety, where they go off the board. I mean, Dak, Kyler, they're six, seventh round picks on NFFC, uh, six, seventh round picks in underdog leagues like uh, you get into that range, you're typically looking at like the boom bust wide receiver threes. You're looking at the boom bust RB threes like Raheem Mostert. Like, I mean, in terms of safety and what they give you relative to a replacement level at the position, like that's that's where uh, that's where I've I've been taking them. Like, I would never take Dak or Kyler in the sixth round of a typical typical redraft league. So that's like a, a big difference in terms of strategy uh, that I take too. They're, they're especially valuable in the DraftKings best ball too, where, because it's just like the highest scoring position and the most week to week volatile. Uh, so really grabbing like three good starters with that three point bonus for 300 yards is going to, to go a long way for you. But um, like in a typical one QB league, like I, I don't care about quarterbacks unless it's Lamar. 
Last year, Lamar last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's why we're having you back on because you called him on on this show. You called him everywhere, but we got some real good league winners out of you you last year. Um, Is there any particular players before we we move on to the the burning questions here? Is there any high owned players that you're just like seeing yourself own pretty much every single best ball draft? Uh, Why don't you start us off, Graham? Yeah, man. Um, so before the Damian Williams news, uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire was my most drafted player. I had mm. him on like 50% of my teams. Uh, it's come way down now because he's, you know, top six. But uh, Edwards Alaire, um, I had a lot of Rager, so that news stung. Uh, those are my two top drafted guys, pretty much, which is weird. I never am super all in on rookies, but I just love the price on, on both of those guys relative to their upside. But now, uh, I think Allen Robinson is probably my highest owned wide receiver. I have to look, but I have been taking him every single time I can get him in the third round. I mean, it's just, it's the same thing he had last year. I mean, he's was top five in targets, top five in target share, just, you know, consistently getting 20, 25% of the team's targets. Uh, this team is not going to be very good. They're going to struggle to run the ball again, especially now that Montgomery's hurt. Uh, I just see the same thing out of Allen Robinson last year that we saw. Uh, and he's, you know, he's a wide receiver one that's priced, you know, way low because everybody's, you know, you know, gobbling up running backs in the first two rounds. So A-Rob round three, Thielen round three, those are really like my two, um, those are my two guys, but but Robinson especially. What about you, Scott? Any guys that you typically leave any best ball draft with every single time? Uh, yeah, probably no one different than, than uh, the league winners, the – Exodia type yeah. circle your your draft board players that uh, are in my my guys article. I, I yeah. did want to brag really quick. I actually haven't been doing too many best ball drafts this year, and I kind of like that just from a philosophical standpoint. I don't know that I would have written uh, upside wins championships if it weren't for me like two years ago or three years ago getting hammered in start sit because I had drafted 115 best ball leagues where I crushed best ball, but then I, I sucked in my start sit because I was, I, I went for safety a little bit too much. I didn't, I didn't go for upside. I grabbed like the ADP values, which aren't going to win you your league. They might in a best ball or they will in a best ball, but not in a start sit. I didn't want to say in, in uh, the MFL 10 of death, legendary expert best ball league, which I won last year. Uh, listen to my start. Christian McCaffrey, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Josh Jacobs. Ooh, not too bad, right? That is a staple of backs. Yes, that that's unbelievable. Um, I had one real early where I got McCaffrey, Hilaire, and uh, um, Eckler was still falling to like the end of round two, so it was crazy. Um, so yeah, when my, you get those three bell counts, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> my my buddy has that start in a, a football guys players championship where like the top prizes. Five hundred thousand dollars, and Woo. so that's 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 looking nice right now. He's got to feel pretty damn good about that. Um, and so we'll we'll jump now. Uh, the next topic was going to be our guys, but we've kind of talked a little bit about those, anyways. I know it's I just pump your article. It's another great one, just loaded with the tiered rankings. You got your positional value, your positional strategy in there. Another just great article. Again, the the one thing I want to make sure to keep reiterating for everyone listening is. The content on fantasy points, like I, I don't know if there's ever been such consistent volume of just great stuff. Um, so that's just one last one. Like I didn't even know that was coming out before this show, and then was reading it all last night. Great stuff, as always. 
Um, but I do want to move into just because we're at the 40 minute mark here. Some of these burning questions for 2020 fan, uh, fantasy football. We'll just kind of alternate who goes first here. Um, and we're going to start with the fantasy market camp check. You know, who has risen? Who's fallen? All that. We'll start with the risers. Who do you consider the biggest fantasy riser since training camp started? Uh, Graham, why don't you take this one away to start? Biggest riser. Um, man. Biggest riser right now. I'm trying to think. Like, I, I want to say right now it's it's probably uh, Deshaun Jackson. Like, um, no Jalen Rager to start week one, week two, maybe even week three. Uh, I saw a report today from Jeff McClain. They're, they're looking at him uh, potentially uh, not Rager not being able to play until week three, week four. Jackson has stayed healthy. I have seen and we've heard that he is uncoverable in practice. Uh, and they get like just money draws out of the gates, man. They get the Bengals and the Redskins. Uh, Redskins, or excuse me, now Washington football team yeah. in week one. Uh, I knew I was going to do that eventually. That's actually the first time I've said that. Uh, Washington football team week one, then they get uh, the Bengals in week three. Just money draws. Uh, I mean, you're going to put them in your flex spot and and uh, just just count up the points. So I, I'd probably say D-Jax based on the, the Rager injury. What do you yeah, think? I wanted to say, too, yeah. even, even like pre-Rager injury – Graham, like two months ago, we were talking about Deshaun Jackson, must draft, late round pick. It was free money. He was going in rounds yeah. 12, 13. I mean, it was literally free money. And I mean, even if he even if he only gives us like one or two ceiling weeks at that point, it's yeah, it's, it's money. I think I even brought this up to you before the injury, Wolf, where I was like, Rieger or, or Deshaun Jackson at cost. And I mean, now that now the choice is easy. Now it's yeah, super yeah. easy. I, I, you, you, you said, why pick? Which, of course, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> Get them both, right, exactly. And it's, that's still the right answer, by the way. Exactly. Um, I would go with one of my, you know, no one's super relevant. Yeah, maybe, but uh, some some of my favorites uh, for Dynasty Leagues. Uh, Brian Edwards has some immediate value, but Absolutely. he was one of my top, yeah. I think, six wide receivers by my model. Um, a lot of teams had a first-round grade on him, but – uh, pushed him down due to injuries. Uh, Harrison Bryant was my number one tight end uh, pre uh, by my model. He's he fell in the draft, but absolutely crushing camp. And Quintus Cephas is another one. You know, on team forty yard dashes, massively overvalued to the point where uh, looking at it might be a negative even uh, for NFL teams. Uh, and he's just a stud. He's just a stud. Don't don't worry about his forty yard dash time, and he he might be the number one guy in camp this year. Very interesting names. The two I would toss out for for running backs, particularly who I didn't really have even in my top two hundred that are now inside my top one hundred, are both Damian Harris and uh, Jarek McKinnon. Oh right. I, I love both those guys. Weren't really, I obviously knew who they were, but they weren't hugely on the radar. And now it's looking like Harris is going to be the number one for the Pats, which comes with some very genuine. We saw with Blunt like a couple of years ago. Look, Eric Blunt had 16 touchdowns and was a, a double digit round pick. So, I mean, this, this isn't the same offense, but, but yeah. It's going to be ground and pound, though. I mean, Cam Newton. Yeah, but it's not going to be, you know, a 12 win team, I don't think. Could it? No. Could be. I don't know. Oh, man. So how how, how, bad, how like bad do you think Belichick wants to win 12 games, man? How bad do you think he wants to win 12 games with Brady and Tampa? Oh, I know. I know. Oh, exactly. But he, lost, he lost so many guys beyond Brady. Yeah. 
Yeah. That defense is, I don't their, know. Their defense is shaky. I mean, they have a really good secondary still, but losing Hightower was was massive. Yeah, that, that was a tough opt-out. I, I know. I'm a delusional Pats fan. I still think they could get it. I, I'm impressed with how good. The one thing I will say is the marriage between Belichick and Newton, like everything has been glowing so far. I read this. I mean, Belichick, uh, he had his whole like monologue about how much he's loved Cam last yeah. night about like, you know, how big of a competitor he is, how quickly he's picked up everything they're throwing on him. I, what they do week one and week two, I can't wait to see what this offense looks like in terms of who they play, their personnel, all of that, because like there are yeah. so many mysteries on this team. Like Edelman's really the only non-mystery, I guess, in terms of. I, I think I think Belichick was more effusive in praise towards Cam Newton than he ever was <laughs> Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you know, wins his sixth Super Bowl, and Bill's just like, well, he's a veteran. He still has a lot of work right. to do. You know, we we're on in New England. We're, 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 on, we're on to the Bengals. Yep. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> It's showing Belichick adjusting the style. Maybe he knows he has a guy that needs that ego uh, pumped a little bit here. With maybe, maybe he just hated Tom. You know, yeah, <laughs> that, that that's the real real of it. But yeah, he wants to stick it to Tom too for sure. So, uh-huh. they, I, I think the offense is going to move it. At least they're going to try to control it, and that's why I like Damian Harris. If he's that true number one, we'll see if he exits camp that way. But I, I really like him, and then McKinnon, obviously the receiving upside if he can just lock down that third down role, which all reports suggest he's en route to doing it. Um, it, it could be massive there. What about the opposite end of everything? The, the biggest fantasy faller from training camp so far. Um, Barrett, you got a clear cut, like faller that you just were kind of into. And now you're just off your radar type of thing. Or any, anybody that you think is a big faller from camp? I don't know. I gotta be honest with you. I'm not really good off the cuff. Um, no one's no one's really coming to mind. I know J- Jay Sternberger was one of your guys, Graham. He's he's yeah. in a real quiet camp. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was gonna say uh, Sternberger for sure. Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, yeah, he he was on uh, obviously was on the COVID list, um, so he was super behind from the get go. So was Sternberger too, actually. Uh, both were on the COVID list, but I mean Vaughn has been completely completely dead. Uh, Anthony McFarland's another good one too. I have literally not seen a single yeah. blurb about McFarland from any of the uh, Steelers beat writers. Like I have no idea uh, how he's been in camp. So uh, I, the biggest ones though, for me are, are the biggest one for sure is Vaughn. I mean, he is just, he's, it sounds like he might open their year as their number four behind even Ogo Bunwali. So uh, Vaughn is pretty, pretty easy answer. Yeah, that that was my pick too. I mean, obviously Fournette as well uh, with the, the release. <laughs> That's low hanging fruit, though, man. We can't kick a man while he's down. <laughs> exactly. Um, but less low hanging fruit. One that I wrote about today, um, and I don't know if you guys will agree or not, because I used to love this guy, and it's not that he's fallen off my board, but Melvin Gordon was somebody I was targeting in round three, wanted him every single time as that like yeah. bell cow if I could get him. And now, if I, I'm not looking to get him really, unless it falls like mid late round four, round five, I'm just not going out of my way for him anymore. It, are you guys buying the you know the rib injury, Lindsay playing well, the altitude stuff, or am I overreacting by kind of putting this guy on my fade list right now? Yeah, so I I, I want to take this one just because he was a guy I, I wrote up in the Bell Cow report was like massively high on I. I kind of mixed exposure, but I definitely had way more Melvin Gordon than James Conner. And if I could go back in time and do that over, I would do that over. Uh, My, my reasoning was it was multifaceted. One, they gave him bell cow money Two, Pat Shermer has 
uh, bell cow history, even with guys like Trent Richardson and Peyton Hillis and, and even bigger scrubs. Um, Melvin Gordon has a bell cow history. And then I thought this was one of those things where like, I just got the news that other people are missing where Tom Pelissero uh, said this, Ian Rappaport said this on his podcast where he said, listen, uh, they draft, they sign him to be their bell cow running back. A lot of people don't realize that. They think the, it's going to split with Philip Lindsay. That's not the case. They want him to be their bell cow. They've actually been looking for a bell cow for some time. They were down on Philip Lindsay because X, Y, and Z. Uh, and I talked to a Denver beat writer and he said, yes, that's exactly the case. You know, it would take Melvin Gordon really struggling in camp and Philip Lindsay really blowing everyone away. And then I talked to that beat writer uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was like, yeah, never mind. Have those guys really close to each other. Uh, Lindsay's looked incredible. Uh, they're, they're down on Melvin Gordon because, you know, he's looked like shit and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely could still shake. He's still going to get like the majority of the red zone work, the majority of the targets, probably majority of the snaps, but it, bell cow real true bell cow role. I don't, I don't know anymore. I'm backing off just cause I have a ton of exposure, but mid round four, you know, that's sort of, I, I get it. Um, but yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely a guy who's, who's disappointed me for sure. What do you think? You Greg? You, yeah. You uh, see that running back sign, sign a big contract. And then, you know, maybe they show up to camp a little fat or exactly, <laughs> especially amidst COVID, you know, they're hey, man. yeah, he's, he's put on that COVID weight. I can sympathize <laughs> with that. I mean, I put on some COVID weight too myself. I, I don't see it, but no, no, Nick, you, you made a good point. Uh, the other, I think it was last night you said, you know, you know, he, he's had trouble uh, acclimating to the altitude. It's like, dude, you've had months to get used to that. Like, yeah. why haven't, why haven't you been there in doing that? Uh, the only thing I keep coming back to is like the Broncos last year told us what they wanted. Like I, I always fade coach speak like for the most, like nine times out of 10. And the, that, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about with, with, uh, with Arians, but I'm always trying to fade coach speak and the, the Broncos showed last year what they wanted in their first nine games last year. Uh, Royce Freeman out snapped Philip Lindsay straight up out snapped him. Like he was on the field more often, got more carries then Lindsay, uh, I mean, it ended up being in terms of touches, like pretty even because Lindsay had a, you know, a couple more receptions, but whatever, like Royce Freeman out snapped him. Like the Broncos have, they do not view Lindsay as a, uh, as a one number one back. And, you know, I, same line of thinking, you don't give him, you don't give a running back $8 million a year to not make him your bell cow. Um, Pat Shermer has also been a coach and I know Scott's done a little bit of work on this, but Pat Shermer has always been a coach too, that gives his lead runner, uh, a, a ton of carries like uh, even back when you know uh, like he's obviously had a lot of great talents to work with right I mean he's had with Sean McCoy uh, back in, in uh, back with the Eagles uh, even before that I mean he's he's definitely like played with you know he's had Saquon Barkley like he's he's had a lot of great running backs but I mean he gave Peyton Hillis like 70 percent 65 percent of the Browns carries before he got hurt in 2011 like the only two times he's really gone with the true committee was with the Vikings in 2017. He had Murray and Jarek McKinnon. And, uh, Peterson got hurt in like week two, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Peterson got, well, actually, yeah. Peterson got hurt, uh, that year. And then the year before that, that was the year before the year before he got suspended in 2016. Mm. Yeah. He got hurt that year in 2017. So really the only time he's ever been forced 
to go with a, like a full blown committee and not give his lead runner, like 60, 65, 70% of the team's carries is, is that Vikings year. Uh, and then the year with the Browns where Peyton Hillis got, got hurt. Um, I still think that he's probably the best bet, like to be on the field and in passing down situations and especially in the red zone. And I guess that's what really matters most for our purposes. But like Scott, I, I backed off on, on Gordon. I, I wish I could convert a lot of my, uh, my third round Gordon to Connor or, or more a Rob. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's, that's the bigger regret too, is the receivers. Like you said, a Rob feeling like these 140 target beasts that it's just like, Oh, why did I, why did I pass up on those alphas um, for, for this guy that might not be a bell cow here? Um, next I, question. I hope he's a league winner now. What's that? <laughs> I hope he's, he's going to be a league winner now. now yeah. that he's 20 touchdowns for Melvin Gordon. Like Lindsay doesn't even touch the field. Right. Exactly. Um, you, we, you've been good at identifying the league winners. And then this exact question I gave you last year, Barrett, uh, Lamar Jackson was the one that you just kept saying, like, don't think about anybody else. It's Lamar Jackson late round. Don't, why would you take anyone else? Um, so, so this year, whether you want to give me one for all the positions, whether you got like one guy that you're just like, nope, this is the late round penny stock. Who's going to be that guy that you get, you know, beyond round twelve or so, and they just explode? Do you want to start us off, Scott Graham? You guys, either one of you have a a strong take on this one? I'll let Scott go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So at, at wide receiver, it's. Um, it's it's Antonio Brown and it's Deshaun Jackson. Mm. Antonio Brown is like not on anyone's like no one else is really thinking about that. Uh, but he's a guy. I mean, you can't really do it in a super short bench league. But I mean, I'm drafting him in the far far majority of my leagues. I don't think he's signed until like week six. Uh, there's a chance they add more games onto a suspension. But at the end of the day, this is Antonio Brown. This is a guy who's finished, you know, top three in fantasy points per game in, you know, prior to last season, like seven consecutive years, whatever. Uh, Just an absolute monster. A guy who can go full exodia, full nuclear in the second half when it matters most in the fantasy postseason. And he's really not on anyone's radar. No one's talking about him. Um, it's you're gonna you're gonna have to take the zero on your bench for six weeks but in the far majority of the leagues i play i think that's worth doing absolutely i I think when we talk about highest owned best ball players i meant to bring him up that i've taken him in every literally every single one i've done so far right around around 15 16 it's like Denzel Mims or Antonio Brown like I'm, I'm gonna go for that upside of Antonio Brown playing even just three games is worth whatever help comes in round 15 and if he doesn't I'm happy I, I took the pick regardless what about you Graham do you have any late round penny stocks that you're just like man that's gonna be a, a lead changer potentially yeah I mean it's always hard to hit on these guys because they go super late for a reason exactly. uh, but, one, but I mean I think tight end is so interesting this year because Ooh. you've got like I don't know. Obviously, you've got Kelsey and Kittle who are locks in the second round. I'm fine with those guys. Andrews is a great pick in the fourth, fourth, fifth. Same with Ertz. Uh, but then that middle range, like I'm kind of just fading it because I love a lot of these late rounders. And one guy that I'm all in on is Blake Jarwin. Uh, I know. Uh, look, I mean, he's probably going to be the number four target on this team. Um, but at tight end, if we can get our tight ends to like a 15, 18 percent target share, uh, which is around the range where I have Jarwin pr- projected for. 
the Cowboys are going to throw 600 times. So that's an easy uh, bet to make that he'll get to 80, 90 targets. Uh, obviously, the, the Jason Witten stat, you know, he had 83 targets last year. Got, you know, he finishes at the, as, a, as the tight end 11 uh, in fantasy points per game. Like, what's going to happen uh, when Jarwin uh, sees those targets and is just way more efficient on them? Uh, you mentioned earlier that that uh, I looked into some sticky stats for fantasy. Like, yards per route run is the, by far the GOAT. Uh, efficiency stat for receivers and tight ends and Jarwin over the last two years is top 15 in that stat. Like, I mean, it's basically all the big hitters that you want, you know, Kittle, Kelsey smash that stat, you know, Jarwin's up there with those guys. Um, I I like Jarwin a lot late. Uh, One more too that I'm really wishing I had way more of is Chris Herndon. Uh, And it's just simple. It's just volume. I mean, the jets, they're, they're going to have to throw a ton this year. The receivers are all banged up. They're all hurt. Denzel Mims hasn't even practiced yet. Really. Uh, Brashad Perriman's not been able to come back. Uh, he apparently has some knee swelling or whatever. Uh, there's a real chance Herndon like easily walks into 90 targets this year. And him and Sam Darnold had like an amazing connection in their rookie seasons. Uh, so Herndon and Jarwin, I think, are the two late round guys that I've I've been drafting most um, uh, this year. 100%. My, my guys, as I've always said, is Teddy Bridgewater, as you guys know. I like Keep that going one. to the grave on that one. That's that's my guy. Gonna get he's, him in every single late round draft. He, he is my most drafted quarterback in best ball, just because he's free. I mean, he was he was a sixteenth, seventeenth round pick. Like all everybody loves DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, all the receivers and stuff, but nobody likes Teddy Bridgewater. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly, and it's so easy to create stacks with him. Now, Curtis, like you said, Ian Thomas late, like the especially if I get the the God given pick number one and get. Christian McCaffrey, like it's a no-brainer. Stack him with. I know. It's so funny you say that because every time I had uh, the, the 101 in like May, I was like, okay, locking in McCaffrey, and I'm going to take Bridgewater in round 16 because it's free money. Exactly. Uh, it's too easy. Um, what about overpriced? A, a player that you just, no matter what, are not landing because you just do not see the fantasy value aligning with their the price tag you have to pay. Is there anybody that comes immediately to mind for you, Scott? Um, yeah, really, it's, it's all the top, you know, seven, eight quarterbacks by ADP. It's all of the non-bell cows being drafted among the bell cows. Um, those, those are the big ones. What about you, Greg? I mean, yeah, you already gave us some of those, the chubs, the, for you, yeah. Henry, the, those early QBs as well. What about you, Graham? Yeah, so I, I have literally zero Fournette. Uh, I was just straight <laughs> up fading him. I mean, nice. I the the other the other two guys were were uh, Gurley and Bell. Like I just I cannot click Le'Veon Bell's name over pretty much any of the receivers like that go in even like the fourth fifth round range. Like I I can't take Bell over Terry McLaurin. I can't take him over Robert Woods. Like I just won't do it. Um, I I still look at the end of the day. Yes, we want volume. Uh, Yes, we want all of that. But like. Bell and Gurley just have massive bust potential. And and the only reason I, I the, the the price has just never made sense to me. Like they were always those guys were always like late fourth, early fifth rounders to me. Uh I think Bell is finally starting to cl- get close to that range where he should be going. But like all of those receivers just have massive uh upside, uh, not only relative to their position, but like they could just straight up outscore those dudes. Uh, just from a total points perspective. So Bell and, and Gurley are really like the, still the two guys. And I know it's like low hanging fruit, but I mean, they're still just such bad picks. Like I, I just can't take, 
I can't take those guys over any of those receivers that go off in the range. I would much rather just go with like a modified zero RB approach and, and take my swings on Zach Moss and, and, and Antonio Gibson and, uh, you know, even going super late uh, with, with some of the, the later round guys, like then just lynching my uh, linchpinning my draft to, to, to Bell and, and Gurley in the fourth, fifth, fourth, fourth and fifth round. Absolutely. And similar to the, the volume just doesn't really matter. In certain cases, David Montgomery's the guy for me. I know it's a little bit lower hanging now that he got hurt. I was already like 30 spots lower than the ECR on him. We saw what he could do with 260 touches and it was horrendous. Like why, why do we need to go back in? Cause he's getting them again. He was one of them to me. I, I'm not getting a lot of David Johnson this year. The one that might be a little more controversial and I'm intrigued to hear if you guys have any reactions. I, I'm fading Juju kind of hard at his cost right now. And I know a lot of people, it, it makes sense why he bounced back. Big Ben's back. He was, was breaking out at such a young age. And generally that translates so well. But to me, where you have to take him, you're, you're passing up on some, you know, Allen Robinson off. And you're passing up on both Seahawks guys, Adam Thielen, DJ Moore, like A.J. Brown. And I'd rather have so many of these guys instead of Juju. Yes, he was a little bit hurt, but he also, and of course, Big Ben, but James Washington had the same horrible quarterback. He had more yards per game than Juju. Like, was it only the Big Ben or is the number one type of Antonio Brown's gone and now he's drawing, you know, the, the number one corners. Could that be a bigger narrative? So to me, I think Juju's priced when, when he's priced with those guys, I find myself fading him. Are either of you guys big Juju believers, or what do you think of that? You're speaking Scott's love language right now. <laughs> You're speaking Scott's love language. I'm I'm the, I'm still in on Juju. I'm still in just because, like you said, age 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 adjusted production is like one of my biggest uh, one of my biggest determinations of future fantasy points. I mean. You said it was just a couple injuries. I mean, the dude dealt with foot and knee injuries last year. Like for a receiver, that's detrimental. And then, you know, you throw in Devlin Hodges, you throw in Mason Rudolph. Like, yeah, I mean, it was just a disaster season for him. Uh, I, I think, man, like if Chase Claypool is as good as some of the beat writers in, in Pittsburgh are saying, and some of, you know, as good as Eric Ebron saying, like they're going to be able to run Claypool and Deontay out wide and leave Juju in single coverage in the slot, like, man, for a team that's going to throw 550, 600 times, like, it's going to be really hard for him not to pay, at least pay off that cost. I do think you can make an argument for uh, the ceiling of A.J. Brown over Juju, and and I'm definitely taking A-Rob and Thielen over, over Juju, but, like, he still goes in, the, like, the late third, early fourth round. It's not like uh, it's not like he's, you know, he's a late second, early third round pick. I mean, he, he goes, he goes pretty consistently ahead of Robinson and Thielen. What about now? We'll, we'll jump into these kind of the next series where we pick out, you know, the league winners from last year who could take that type of jump and be a, a league winner this year. So obviously Godwin last year was pretty obvious and he still went around four and five and, and crushed it. Is there any receivers you see kind of in that four to five range that are just going to be, Big league winners. What do you think, Scott? Well, I mean, all three of us are, are on the Hollywood Brown bandwagon for sure, like yeah. driving that train. But you just hinted at one who's going in what, like the, the seventh round these days? Um, and this is a guy I tweeted out uh, that – I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up. I said <laughs> – I said Deontay outscores Juju this year 
Mm. And it doesn't even feel bold, even though their ADP is six rounds apart. This is like quote tweeted on my thread that said Godwin outscores Evans. I don't I don't know that Deontay outscores Juju, but I'm never owning Juju because I just love Deontay so much. And like that's where I'm putting my chips. And I, you know, I'm I'm hoping for I'll be honest, the the buzz out of camp hasn't been like what I've been hoping it would be for Deontay. There's just like Chase Claypool's kind of stealing the show. It hasn't been for Juju either. It hasn't been. I've heard nothing out of Juju. Yeah. Yeah. He's had a bad, bad, bad off season. Um, Also, by the way, uh, another guy I should have said before, a lot of guys are hurt. A lot of guys are and might be hurt or like secretly hurt. Chris Godwin's one of those guys. I think Mike Evans outscores Godwin easily this year, especially with all the multiple tight end sets kicking Godwin out of the slot. Uh, but yeah, I just, I love Deontay and Deontay's a guy I'm, I'm getting exposure to everywhere. I, I lo- uh, before we move on to your pick, Graham, I'd love the uh, Mike Evans take, by the way, I've started to, I flipped those two in my rankings um, recently. The, the rapport between Brady and Evans has reportedly just been insanity, like uncoverable every single day. And, and as you said, we haven't seen anything about Godwin and how he's doing and other than that he's hurt. So yeah, I, I love that switch there. What about I don't, you? I don't know where you're at as a, a, a Pats fan, but I think Brady is my highest on quarterback this year. I, oh yeah, I'm all about it. I can't believe that he falls to you know around 10, 11 at times when you give him these type of weapons. And then even though everyone's saying his arm is just as strong as it ever was, Gronk saying it's stronger than when Gronk was a rookie. Like the guy hasn't lost a step. He's not going to lose a step. And I mean, people doubting Brady are 0 for 47. So <laughs> let's just not doubt Brady. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting him everywhere I can. I absolutely love Tom. Um, what about you, Graham? Who do you have as your kind of like big breakout of those mid-round receivers that are going right now? Yeah, so I, I had, like Scott, like you guys, I had a bunch of Godwin last year in the fourth round. Uh, I think Robert Woods, if we're going to stick with the fourth round theme, talk one. about a guy that can get 100 catches this year, it's, it's Robert Woods, man. This team, this Rams team, uh, there is so much upside in terms of volume, going to woods like yes he does not have the touchdown ceiling of you know maybe even aj brown or, or frankly even terry mclaurin maybe he, maybe he does not have like 9 10 11 12 touchdown upside but i mean he's gonna it's gonna be close for him man like he is locked in 85 receptions he could push for 100 just like godwin did last year uh the rams you know in in mcveigh's first three years they won 11 13 and nine games this year uh, their win total on DK Sportsbook is at eight. That's way behind the Seahawks, uh, way behind the 49ers, obviously, too. Uh, there's some real, uh, like, just overall team-wide regression built in here. And if they if they find themselves in more negative game scripts, the Rams are going to f- probably lead the league in pass attempts. Uh, Jared Goff last year was second behind only Matt Ryan in pass attempts. Uh, I looked into some game script data and the Rams last year were uh, the number one most pass-heavy team in uh, games they were trailing by three or more three or more points. Uh, they were number one in pass rate when they were trailing by uh, seven or more points. And I mean, if they if they find themselves in some some game scripts this year where they have to throw, like Jared Goff is is going to throw six hundred plus times, and no Brandon Cooks. They don't really have a, a clear cut number three wide receiver. I think Josh Reynolds is is, is going to play. 
uh, and 11 personnel, but they're going to get Van Jefferson involved. But I mean, really the point is, is like Robert Woods is, is going to get fed targets rather whether or not they're in three receiver or two receiver sets, he'll always be on the field in those situations. And, uh, fourth round for you know locking in 85, 90 receptions is your floor wide receiver too. Just seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, it's one of those ones that just like Godwin last year, it's so obvious. Everybody that knows anything about fantasy is saying it, and it, his price doesn't change, so keep gobbling it up. But another one that's like that for me is McLaurin. Like, there isn't anybody that's good and smart in this industry that is not in on McLaurin, and yet he remains uh, – I've seen him creeping around four now, but still sometimes around five. And it's just it, – you're buying him at his floor. You're buying him at the, the finish he had last year. And there's so many reasons he should take that step forward. The, the Washington football team should just throw the ball and, and just run more plays in general. The fifth lowest amount of plays in the last 20 years last year. Like that's obviously going to come up. You, you got Scott Turner coming in who pushed the pace with the Panthers. So all of that, you know, Haskins takes a step forward. Like at, at worst, you're getting what you got last year, which is a top 25 receiver. That's what you're paying for him right now. And at best, it's to me a, a potential top 12 guy, just like Godwin. Like I, I don't get how so many people can be in on him, but the price just doesn't change him. Woods is just a nice that, That's again, why I love hammering the bell cows early too. It's because you have so much to fall back on with these wide receivers. Um, we hinted at it. We ch- talked at length about, you know, Jarwin and, and Herndon is some potential next Mark Andrews, Darren Waller style guys. Is there anybody else, uh, Scott, that you would kind of add to this late round breakout? You nailed Andrews on the show last year. Um, so is there anybody you're feeling this year that could be that type of guy? Yeah. So, so last year, the, the tier for me was Delaney, Andrews, Waller. Delaney didn't hit the other two certainly did. This year, it's it's again a three tight end tier, and it's Janu, Irv, and Herndon for me. And just like, where am I ranking those three? I, I don't know. It, cha- it really changes every other day. Uh, Herndon's sort of just obvious that the volume. You know, I, Blake Jarwin's not there for me because I think Dallas takes a big step back in, in terms of uh, how pass heavy they go. And I, I do think he's fourth on the target totem pole but the, the three guys i mentioned there there's a good chance they could be you know number two like Corey davis i don't think is is anything mm-hmm. whatever uh I, I know they were super run heavy last year but i think they're going to be more pass heavy this year he's a freak after the catch like pretty much the only guy coming close to george kittle on a per reception basis after the catch Irv Smith, uh, Kubiak's tight ends, like I know you know, uh, they've also hyped him up as getting work on the outside. And if you just look at the the tight ends who rank first and second every year by fantasy points, it's always the tight ends who rank first and second by outside wide receiver routes. Uh, so there's just like big upside there. Um, and, uh, and and Chris Herndon is just sort of obvious like, like Graham laid out. Absolutely. I, I love them all. John, who's my pick, too. That's the guy that I, I'm going all in. I think I'm tight in 11 this year. Um, I'm all about that athleticism. I, like you said, Corey Davis can get the fuck out of here. He's useless at this point. So <laughs> I'm, I'm all about uh, John, who taking over that number two role. I mean, when Bill Belichick says you're the best after the catch tight end, uh, that's pretty good high praise that we should pay attention. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. I'm all about him. Um, and Arthur Smith, by the way, was was formerly the tight ends coach. So, so yeah. he knows what he has in John Smith. 
yeah, they're saying they're designing tons of creative ways to get him the ball in camp, lots of screens and, you know, even tight end around and things like that. So I'm all about it. We get that usage bump. It's yeah. I just uh, – one quick thing on Janu. I, yeah. I have not been able to see the path for the breakout only because the Titans are so run heavy. Uh, they're, they're so run heavy, especially when they get a league. I mean uh, – a lead, excuse me. Uh, last year, uh, Janu only saw – uh, he saw four fewer targets in in uh, nine of Tannehill's thirteen starts. I mean, that's just not even going to get it close to done uh, for for our purposes. Yeah, he's a freak after the catch, but I, I just think with Herndon and even Jarwin, I know Scott thinks that that the Cowboys are going to throw a little bit less, and even if they do, that's fine. Uh, Jarwin will probably still get seventy five ish targets, which is around the range Johnu will get, and the Cowboys' offense is so much better than the Titans. So that's really my only thing. I just I haven't been able to sell myself on that Janu breakout that 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 you know some some guys have had. But. Well, if Tannehill's going to regress in efficiency, he's going to regress positively in, in pass attempts. Uh, and I do think they, they throw quite a bit more this year. Uh, we have an NFL insider on staff uh, in Adam Kaplan who who to- talked to his Tennessee guy. His Tennessee guy told him fifty five to sixty receptions for Janu Smith which would have put him at like what eighth or ninth last year. And then factor in he's elite after the catch. You know, I, I think that really can add up for, for fantasy. Um, and then of course, you know, earlier rounds, I, I don't like my teams as much when I go tight end early, but, but Graham and I are, are both huge Mark Andrews guys. This year, this year, I just want to say real quick this year, there's, there's no clear cut. Like, 2018, George Kittle on every team. Last year, Mark Andrews on every team. This year, I like, man, I like six guys in the late rounds, including, I mean, we haven't even talked about TJ Hawkinson. I mean, he yeah. was tar- he was targeted more often on his routes than Noah Fan right. was last year. He arguably has less competition for targets than Noah Fan. I mean, there are so many talented, uh, interesting late round guys that, like, if you don't take Kittle or Kelsey, you don't take Andrews, you don't take Ertz. Uh, there's there's a lot of paths to really beating ADP with uh, with a few of these late round guys. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I find myself I, I, unless I get Kelsey, I'm almost always getting two, three late round tight ends and just hoping to get the one that that blows up um, like these guys. What about the next Terry McLaurin or DJ Chuck? Those receivers that just came out of nowhere um, often were undrafted last year and then produced you know top fifteen stats. Is there anybody that you see? falling to the end of drafts or potentially going undrafted that could just shock the world and, and blow up at wide receiver. Um, let's go with you, Graham. Let's start with you. What do you think? Yeah, I want to steal one from Joe Dolan. Uh, he's like, Joe is an amazing fantasy player uh, from, from fantasy points, but he mentioned Paris Campbell as like, not the same type of player that DJ Chark is, but I love this call and I'm just going to totally steal it from it. And I've been really trying to draft more Paris Campbell is, is uh, I mean, look, T Y Hilton is 31. Uh, he's already, he's already tweaked his hamstring in camp. Uh, we know Philip rivers loves to throw to the middle of the field in kind of a check down fashion. I'm not entirely sold that Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines are, are going to catch a ton of balls. Uh, Paris Campbell last year, I think he had like five or literally five or six different injuries he had to deal with. Um, he's been healthy in camp outside of the car crash. Uh, I, I just think, you know, if we're looking at like quarterback hot zones and, you know, the way quarterbacks typically like to play, Campbell makes a lot of sense. Uh, this year, 
I don't know. I mean, I think this year is really hard for late round wide receivers. There's not a lot of like just obvious glaring values. Uh, but Campbell to me, I, I think in terms of volume, uh, could be really interesting for for a Colts team that really doesn't have a number two uh, target. I mean, Jack Doyle has been banged up at camp. Trey Burton just hurt, uh, just got hurt in a scrimmage uh, last week. Like they they really don't have a, a middle of a field guy. And obviously, Campbell, you know, coming out of Ohio State was was awesome, like awesome in that part of the field. So uh, I think Campbell is really like one, one of the only guys that I think have a chance to like you know pop into not maybe even the top 25 but top 30 35 receivers this year really interesting pick i i I haven't done too much of campbell yet but that's i I like everything about that take so i might have to reevaluate my my paris campbell shares what about you scott do you have a late guy like like paris campbell range that you're looking at uh yeah there's there's certainly a few of them uh you know we already talked deshaun jackson and and jalen rieger another uh, rookie, you know, Jerry Judy, really good chance at being the number two in that offense. He's a guy who just sort of gets open at will and and not just open, but like wide the fuck open, you know, no one within 15 yards of him. And you're like, like, I don't trust Drew Locke, but I mean, it's hard to miss a guy when there's not a defender within 15 yards of him. Uh, Brandon Ayuk's another guy just because, you know, Debo Samuel's starting off hurt. And he's a freak after the catch. He's really fast. We know Kyle Shanahan uh, can can create these guys' yards, so they don't have to beat like a top corner one on one. They'll just he'll find a way to get them open, and then they'll create yards on their own uh, after the catch. Um, and I mean, w- one of the most valuable things I do every year is the uh, post draft press conference. Uh, analysis and you know just listening to Kyle Shanahan rave about Ayuk it's clear he thinks like already Ayuk is a better talent than Debo Samuel which after what Debo Samuel did last year was kind of crazy and Preston Williams and Rashad Perriman those are a few more late round wide receivers I'm sure there's more Golden Tate I guess but yeah I tried to go a little deeper I was that Ayuk was the first one that came oh okay okay I tried to go a little deeper but dude, uh, Shanahan called. Uh, he called. I, he said they had Ayuk number one on their board, and I believe them relative to their offense. Like they're going after all these yak monsters, and Ayuk is just another one. So I, yeah, I, he said, you know, he said, you know, I'm always going to be honest with you. I had him number one, just about tied with CD Lamb. That's what he said, which is crazy to me. And he was like, I almost took him at whatever their first pick was, like twelve, that he traded down. So when I when I watched Eno Benjamin when I charted him for yards created I I seriously every time I was like I was just always entranced by Ayuk like like that dude just always was open and I know it's a different scheme and and they ran you know a lot of three wide stuff at Arizona State but he got absolutely wide open you know Shanahan's gonna get him he's gonna get him the rock in space I love yeah, it. I, yeah. Um, the only other yak guy or just an intriguing talent that I want to throw out there, especially with Fournette now gone, is LaVisca Chanel. Um, yeah. You know, move around guy, backfield wildcat. Like, you know, he was already potentially their most dangerous red zone weapon. We know Leonard wasn't, uh, but he, he still got the ball a ton at the stripe despite performing so inefficiently. Like, LaVisca could realistically become their goal line, like wildcat style guy out of nowhere. Um, Trevor Sycamore we had on our pod um, from the draft network, I was raving about this guy even before Fournette was gone as their most dangerous red zone weapon. So I really like him going undrafted. 
I, I think he could immediately come in. I love Chark. I think Chark's clearly their alpha. But in terms of just their most versatile, dangerous, like move around, just scheme eight to ten touches for this guy, no matter what type of guy, I, I could see LaVisca potentially being that. I know you mentioned Gregor, and he's not quite the uh, the price of the the McLaurin and DJ Charks, but I've seen him fall like recently to 14, 15 because of the injury. And it, it, to me, there's some interesting parallels to Odell, like his rookie season, where lighting up early camp was everybody's like darling, kind of got hurt, and, and you know missed those first four weeks, and nobody really owned him, and then suddenly comes back and lights the world on fire. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I know Odell's ridiculous. That's a, a, an absurd type of claim, but like. The, the praise that was coming out for Rager before um, this injury was just ridiculous. Burning Derry Slay every day and, and over the middle, down deep, fades, doing everything. I don't know. I, he, he seems to me like a guy that should not be going where he goes. Um, so, so I love both those rookies. It's, we're clearly shouting out a bunch of rookies here. It's, it's the year to, to invest in them late. Um, but, yeah, the, the last – oh, did you, did you have something, Scott, for that one? <laughs> No, I, I, just a good call. Yeah, cool. Um, the last, the next one we have, and of course, you know, we're looking for lightning to strike three times in a row. Probably not going to happen. But if there somehow was another Lamar, another Patty Mahomes, who would it be? Uh, let's start with you, Graham. Yeah, this year's tough. I mean, it's really tough at quarterback. Um, you know, I think between, you know, after when, or excuse me, after like, uh, you know, Dak and Kyler go off the board. Uh, I have a lot of Josh Allen this year, but I don't think he has that type of ceiling. Uh, I, I guess it's it's probably Carson Wentz. I mean, in terms of consistency, you know, uh, finishing as a top 12 quarterback, I mean, he's been up there with the elites when he's on the field. I mean, he's been a QB1 for fantasy. Uh, does I just don't think he has the the, the ceiling of Lamar, obviously, and, and, and Mahomes, but in terms of the value he can provide, I, I guess my my answer would be Wentz, but I, I don't feel as nearly as strongly as I as I did about Lamar last year, or as even Dak. I mean, I was if I didn't get Lamar in round nine, round ten, I was taking Dak in, in round ten, round eleven. Uh, this year, there's just not that there's just not a clear cut guy. But I think if there is anybody that's going to really just be ADP, uh, it'll be Wentz. Um, but again, he doesn't have the ceiling that, that those two guys do. What about you, Scott? Do you feel similar about the position, or is there anybody else you feel like is actually a, a hammer pick there? Um, yeah, so so in that ADP range, I, I do like Wentz a lot. I have a ton of Tom Brady, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew Brees, I think, is actually getting kind of slept on. Um, but uh, in that deeper tier, I mean, there's just like a bunch of guys you can make the argument for. It's Cam Newton. I mean, look at his, his history. And now he, he's playing for the Patriots like – Mm-hmm. 12 months ago, wouldn't we be taking this guy top, top four at the position, like top five, um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, you could say the exact same thing. Uh, Matthew Stafford ranked top five by fantasy points per game before his injury. Jared Goff led the league in pass attempts last year. And a year ago we were saying Sean McVay is the greatest offensive genius, like in the history of, of sport. Um, and now no Todd Gurley, you know, just plodding, plodding along on the field. Uh, it's going to free up their Tyler Higby looked like a freak towards the tail end. Mm-hmm. Um, Baker Mayfield was being drafted as a top five fantasy quarterback. He's being drafted outside of the top 15. Now 
Uh, I already told you about Ryan Tannehill and Joe Burrow. I mean, that's the great thing about quarterback is like, you, you take the wrong guy who cares you'll, you'll find the right guy off of waivers or you'll stream the QB seven. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And, and you guys know my guys, Teddy bridge. We don't need to dive into why again, but that's going to be. What if, and what if, what if Los Angeles just lets Tyrod loose? Exactly. Right. That That's one that nobody talks about. And like, if he somehow plays all, he starts all the games, he's got the Konami upside that we look for. I mean, and, and- and Matthew Berry's ride or die this year is Daniel Jones. Mm. Uh, listen, Matthew Berry is is keyed in. He talks to all the beat writers. He talks to Schefter constantly. He he talks to NFL GMs, NFL coaches. He texts them. Like when he says something like that, and he like plants his flag as firmly as he's doing with Daniel Jones. I feel like he knows something I don't. I feel like he knows like. Oh, I talked to uh, Judge, and he says that uh, he really wants to unlock Daniel Jones on the ground or something. And Daniel Jones is going to rush like seven times a game or something. Create. There's just like it's just it's just so deep. It's so deep. I don't know why you would you would take a quarterback. Real quick, real quick on the, that point. Like Daniel Jones' schedule is not good to start the year. Like you're not going to feel comfortable starting him. But yeah. if you want to go like totally YOLO, take Daniel Jones and then get Tyrod Taylor. Because week one, they get the Bengals. Then week two, they get the Chiefs. That'll be a shootout. And then week three, they get the dust of the Carolina Panthers defense. I mean, that they're that that like you couldn't ask for a better start for a streaming quarterback than Tyrod Taylor has this year. Yeah, that that's a gem schedule right there. Really interesting. That uh, Daniel Jones Tyrod Taylor pairing would be uh, quite the start. I'm I'm intrigued to do that. I'm, I'm gonna pull that off in a, a re- new basketball. What about Tua too? I mean, like, what if he takes over at some point? He certainly can run and throw. So, so so many intriguing guys. That, that's the key here is the depth. But uh, Teddy Bridgewater remains my flag. And last question here, wrapping on up here. What is your boldest 2020 fantasy football prediction that you actually genuinely believe is a solid bet to hit? Um, Barrett, what do you think? What is the boldest one that you think is going to hit in 2020? My boldest one? Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Can you come back to me? Sure. Do you have one ready, Graham? Yeah, I'll just stick with it, man. I think Alan Robinson finishes as a top two fantasy wide receiver. Mm. I think that's the the boldest one I can go. Uh, actually, I'll say I'll say top three. I think Adams and Thomas are clearly those guys. But top top two, top three for a Rob. Uh, last year was top ten wide receiver. Uh, the volume will be there. They don't have anything behind him. I mean, not only is like not only is Anthony Miller the number two wide receiver, they don't have a three. Uh, David Montgomery will probably miss the first couple games. Um, look, I mean, Jimmy Graham is what he is at this point, but they just, they just don't have anything else. Um, yeah. and we've seen a Rob post, like, I mean, back before he tore his ACL, uh, in Jacksonville, he was a top three fantasy wide receiver. And I think a lot of the same team aspects apply, uh, to a Rob this year. Uh, so, so a Rob top three is, is my bold call. And I don't, I don't know if that's super bold. I'm really bad at bold calls. I think in general, but, uh, I I'm think really good at them. I think that's, I think that's, that's my call. I think that's his ceiling. I like it. I thought that is, that's definitely bold. I would say mine is uh, going back to Jarek McKinnon. I think he finishes with it as an RB two in PPR top 24, maybe even top 15. I just think if he can stay healthy, 
he might just be the best pure runner and receiver. He's definitely the best pure receiver. They're talking about him potentially leading this team in 20-plus in yard receptions because he's going deep in camp and everything. So just as a receiver alone, if he calls in 50, 60 balls at around 13 price tag, it's already going to pay off. But then who's to say he doesn't beat out? Uh, you know, I, I've been liking Mostert. I think he is a nice fit in there. But ultimately, this is a freak athlete, Jarek McKinnon, that they paid – the fourth highest running back contract for him. You know, Shanahan's got a little bit of an ego. He's going to want to prove like I wasn't a moron for making that contract. So if he can ride this guy for of all those three, I think McKinnon's the only one that could emerge as like an actual three down bell cow. And if that happens, we're looking at a, a top 15, top 12 guys. So I'm, I'm all in on the McKinnon train. That's my boldest prediction. Top 20, maybe even top 15. Should he inherit that take over that whole role? What about you, Scott? You come to a, a bold prediction. Yeah, I just wanted to say on that, our insider confirmed that uh, they did sign him to be their bell cow. They wanted him to be their bell cow. So he has that in his range of outcomes, potentially. I mean, like, they also gave Raheem Mostert more money, and he he did have, like, a historically great yards per carry season last year. Um, I also talked to a former NFL surgeon who told me off the record early last offseason, so before he went on the IR, that uh, McKinnon was quote-unquote cooked. I, so I don't know what that means now because, like you said, every training camp report is is he's been crushing it. A bold call, I mean, I'm, doesn't feel, you're drafting Hollywood Brown as a wide, re, a wide receiver one, as a wide receiver three. Um, I already gave you Deontay Johnson, uh, but I, I think like one of the most important things to think about when you're drafting in fantasy and not enough people, you know, really view it this way, way is just like how valuable, like, like we were talking about war, right? W- wins above replacement. Um, like the top, how valuable the top five, top six, top seven players by war are like that's how you win your leagues it's not the adp beaters it's getting two of those guys and then you win your league are you getting just mccaffrey um and i'm th- i'm thinking about guys who have that potential and mm-hmm. tyler higby has that potential cam Akers easily has that potential um and and you know, just just thinking about guys going uh that late with that upside you know you could say you could say Tyler Higby returns is who he was at the tail end of last year. Let's say it's just like a fifteen percent chance of that happening. But guess what? He's worth his ADP then if it's fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. And if he is who he was at the tail end of last season, then he's like one of those you know top seven most valuable players at any position. Cam Akers too has 2018, 2017 Todd Gurley in his range of outcomes to me. Uh, even even cooked ass Todd Gurley last year scored how many touchdowns, and he scored how many touchdowns in a row. Um, so I, I think I think more people need to think about fantasy that way, and just uh, guys guys who can who can do that. That is a really interesting thing to, to think about too. Is just, which good luck. <laughs> Always good luck. Random sound in the background when I record with you, uh, Scott. <laughs> Last time it was the microwave gate. This time it's uh, the broken gate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but, like, what What in that range, too, is, like, what if the, the Chargers just feed Eckler? And, and like, the you know, the bell cow they, they made him when he was 
with no Melvin Gordon those first few weeks and only it was him and CMC no one and that's all it comes down like if you read the Belpe report it's obvious like I struggled with him more than anyone else because I wrote the most words by a landslide it's just literally do they give him those missing nine carries per game that he saw when Melvin Gordon was was holding out uh and then they took away from him when Melvin Gordon came back that's what it comes down to at the end of the day yeah exactly Awesome, gentlemen. Well, guys, this was an absolute pleasure. 90 minutes of football with two of my you know, favorite analysts that I respect more than really any in the game. One of, again, the best sources out there, Fantasy Points. Um, you guys have been so generous with your time, your insight. This was an absolute pleasure. Uh, so, so why don't you just remind our listeners where they can find you and your work. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you, then Graham. Um, you know, where can our listeners connect with you? I. Uh, at Scott Barrett DFB on Twitter and at uh, or www.fantasypoints.com. Yeah, I'm at Scott Barrett DFB <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, use promo code Barrett 10 to subscribe <laughs> to fantasypoints.com. Uh, no, nah, for real, this was great, guys. Uh, uh, thanks for having us on again, Nick. This was this was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm glad we got to run it back. Uh, I think I was on your show. I was on your show like early this this off season. So really it's fun to. Yeah. yeah, it was fun to reconnect like when 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 uh when everything starts hitting the fan. So appreciate you having us back, man. All right, thanks so much again for coming on, guys, and, and thanks for everyone tuned in. Wolf is out. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. Football right there, folks.